0: Good morning everybody. Um, welcome to, I uh, don't know, Canons of Dort, what is the third week, or week we're talking about this? Um, in the broader context, of course, of uh, systematic theology, um, we're in the midst of talking about um, soteriology, which is the study of what? Salvation, Salvation. right. And so... <clears throat> um, So we're going through a little bit of, I guess you could call it historical theology, because we're going back and looking at um, the Canons of Dort, which were written about, what, 400 years ago? Um, 16, what, 1619? And um, so anyway, let's uh, pray, then we'll get started. And we're not going to do much of, we'll just do a small review from last week, and then we're going to get going um, on continuing through section one. So we can hopefully... um, finish section one today. I really hope that we can do that. So, Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, the time to come together and to to study this. I ask that the the teaching uh, be profitable, that each one of us uh, takes away uh, something that is um, uh, in some way uh, brings us closer to you. And um, help us remember, Father, that this is not uh, simply... An academic exercise. It's not just um, knowledge for the sake of knowledge, but understanding who you are and how you uh, work with us is, um, how you work in our lives is, is vitally important um, to us. Um, you're our life. Um, we, in, in you, we uh, move and breathe and, and just have our being, Father. We love you. We trust you. Um, bless this time for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, the Canons of Dort, um, it's a theological confession, um, it's a rather short uh, statement of faith, uh, published by an international synod um, of reformed churches in Dortrecht, I, I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's, uh, we'll call it Dort, in, um, uh, in the Netherlands in 1618 to 1619, um, almost said BC, just kind of out of, uh, out of habit, I guess. Um, anyway, that, you know, so that was what? You know, four hundred years ago, um, it was written in response to a document called the Remonstrance, which was written by the students of Jacob Arminius, and in order in it was in order to resolve a theological controversy that was created by Arminianism uh, concerning the way in which believers received the the benefit of Christ. And so today we. Quite often in these um, kind of quasi reform circles, we talk about uh, tulip. Uh, can somebody tell me what tulip stands for? First of all, what does it describe, and then secondly, uh, what does it stand for? I'm sorry. It, it, yeah, it's uh, we call it, a lot of people call it the five points of Calvinism, right? Um, but it's the uh, five points, I guess, of the doctrines of grace. Of, of Calvinism, since Calvinism, Reformed doctrine is is, consider- is really broad, gets into eschatology and soteriology and um, all all sorts of different things. Um, so, anyways, but in particular, what does tulip stand for? Total depravity, unconditional grace, unconditional election, limited atonement, grace. irresistible grace. Perseverance of the Saints. Very good. All right. Um, so TULIP is a nice little acronym, um, but in order to make TULIP into a, a word, um, the order had to be changed just a little bit. Um, well, there, so there's two differences, two big differences between TULIP and, and the canons. One is, um, you know, TULIP is essentially this little acronym, um, but the canons are a lot more extensive. As we're finding in section one, there are, what, 18 articles in, just in Section 1 alone, which is, is talking about divine election. Um, and then there's a, an additional part that talks about the rejection of, of errors. And the, the order is changed between Tulip and the Canons. And I pointed it out last week, and I don't know, for me, it, it, it might be a, just a little detail. You know, most people may roll their eyes at it. But I really find it significant, I, I find significance in the starting point of things, right? So TULIP um, starts with what? Total depravity. So it, it begins with what? The inability of man. And then it develops from there, okay? When you look at the canons of Dort, what do they begin with? They begin with divine election. They begin with the, the sovereignty and the goodness of God, okay? Okay. I, and I think we always want to start with God. We don't want to start with man. I think we want to start with God, and then we understand mankind in the context of a good and holy God. All right, sections of the canons. These are the—whoops, um, sorry, I went too far. Um, so there's, there's four main sections, and they respond to the five uh, points of, of um, the remonstrance or Arminianism— and as you can see, three and four are, uh, are combined together. And then each, the organization of each of the sections, they begin with a, a universal uh, statement. Um, in the case of section one, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean, obviously it's the, um, the first article. And then there's, uh, what, five, five more articles where it develops the... Um, progressively develops the argument for the the doctrine and then finally in in section one the case uh the statement of the reform doctrine is actually in section seven we're going to get to that in just a few minutes and then after that it gets into implications of that doctrine and as you can see there's um 11 articles dealing with uh, the implications and then there's the rejection of errors so what we're going to do today is we're going to um look at articles, what, six and seven, to to finish up kind of building the case for the reform Doctrine. We're only going to look at one of the implications. Um, We we just don't have time to go through all 11. And then we're going to look at one of the errors that was was rejected. I do think it would be good for everybody to, to read this. All right. And then here's the case. You can see it begins with God's right to condemn all people and goes through the manifestation of God's love, and then all the way through a, a, a statement of, of divine election. All right, so you take a drink. We'll get going. Any comments or thoughts at this point? Questions? You no? Know? Okay. <sighs> God, slow down. We just started, and I'm already running out of breath. Um, all right. The fact that some receive from God the gift of faith within time— and that others do not, stems from his eternal decree, for all his works are known to God from eternity. In accordance with this decree, God graciously softens the hearts, however hard, of the elect and inclines them to believe. But by a just judgment, God leaves in their wickedness and hardness of heart those who have not been chosen. And in this especially is disclosed to us God's act, unfathomable and as merciful as it is just of distinguishing, distinguishing between people equally lost. This is the well-known decree of election and reprobation revealed in God's word. The wicked, impure, and unstable distort this decree to their own ruin, but it provides holy and godly souls with comfort beyond words. All right. So, in this part, in accordance with the decree of God, graciously softens heart. So what is a soft Heart. Is it somebody that cries when Rocky wins the championship, you know, and Rocky 2? Uh, sorry if you haven't seen that. I didn't mean to, to blow it for you. I think the Bible
1: says, you know, heart's just coming up, our guy gives us a heart of flesh. I think that's what
0: God's word is. Okay. Okay. Who hears the word and understands who we are before God. Okay. So uh, so what you're talking about is specifically a hard heart, okay, is a heart that is what? Ademnity with God. That's that's a good way to put it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And so so a hard heart um, is enmity with God, and so the opposite of that with, with, without the opposite of that would be a soft heart, right? So, soft heart doesn't necessarily even mean kind or emotional or anything like that. It's talking about um, our disposition toward toward God. So, good.
1: Would
0: be like um, able to have feelings? A
1: hard, hard heart wouldn't have any feelings. Having a um, soft heart would kind of feel. It
0: would have yeah. A feeling. See, and that, and, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, and it's a good question. Um, I think what happens is when we bring over into English, um, and man, I hate—I I don't know Hebrew, and I don't know Greek. Okay, um, but when we when we bring these concepts and these words over into English, um, we're used to in our society thinking of a soft heart as being something that is related to emotion, right? Where biblically speaking, when you look at where the words are that. Um, those words are used. It's not in the context of like any kind of emotion or anything. It's strictly our disposition toward God. Are we stiff necked and um, uh, refusing to acknowledge God for who he is, pay him glory, and, you know, bow in obedience? Or are we, um, you know, uh, well, that would be the hard heart. And so the soft heart would be the person who God has worked in in order to bring him into to fellowship. Cool. All right. All right. So believe, believe what? Believe that God exists? What does believe mean? Uh, you're talking about behind the box?
1: Yeah, behind
0: the box. Uh, what's behind the box? <laughs> um, um, <laughs> a couple of people got that, I think. Um, yeah, it's uh, in accordance with the decree, God graciously softens the heart, however hard, of the elect and inclines them to believe. Okay, so um, so believe what? Just in general, something? I'm sorry, the gospel? Okay. Um, so if, if you could rip believe out of there, if you had to replace believe with another word, what would it be? It would be trust. Exactly. So it, exactly, it's, it's, it's trust him. So it's have faith, right? So the idea there is, is not that, and again, you guys hear me say this a lot, believing in God does not have anything to do with believing that God exists. Every atheist in the world knows that God exists. They they suppress that knowledge, that truth, and unrighteousness. That's a Romans 1 thing, right? But the idea here is, is that it's not that... Um, God is inclining us to believe believe in Him, or even acknowledge that we believe in um, believe that He exists. It's that um, He is inclining us to trust Him, because there's there's no other way for us to to trust Him. And like um like it says, you know, throughout Scripture, um, you know, so and so believed God and was counted to Him as righteousness. Yes, sir. to say,
1: believe in something or believe in someone. Yeah. Is that you believe this statement, yeah. which is the gospel? Yeah. So there's another way to look at that because you're right. We can believe in God, and that means nothing. Right. But the gospel says a lot. a Lot in the gospel. You right. Believe those statements about the gospel, and you confess with your mouth. Absolutely. You say, Absolutely. Okay, so we don't. It's not about believing in. Right. Or trusting in God. That's not how really how Scripture. The
0: the one thing I would say there is I do think um, trust is um, vital to all of that. Because like James says, even, um, you know, what is it, you, you believe that God, uh, no. We, you believe that Jesus is the son of God, um, even the demons believe that and shudder. So they believe that, they know that to be true, but they don't trust him, right? And so um, there's a lot, I think, there, there's a lot of people throughout history, I think, that would say, yeah, Jesus probably was the son of God, but that doesn't mean anything to me because they have another God, yeah, and the,
1: right? The gospel is much
0: bigger. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's narrow or big, yeah. All right, um, Okay, so by a just judgment, God leaves in their wickedness and hardness of heart those who have not been chosen. So what's wrong with this question? Um, Why doesn't God save, why doesn't God just save everyone? Why wouldn't a loving God save everyone? Why, Why is that the wrong question to ask? There's no glory, okay.
1: Right, grace, saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's, right. that's the I, I think one way I look at it is that's the highest aim that God has yeah. for all of creation. Right. And so if He saves everyone, right, there's no distinction between unbelievers and, and uh, sinners that didn't believe.
0: Sure. And sinners that knew. Right. So um, yeah, and we're actually going to get into the greatest good here in, in a little bit. But what would be a better question to ask? Yes, sir. Yeah, there you go. Why does God save anyone, right? Because if we're all, you know, as we're going to see here in a little bit, we're all, you know, wicked. Um, We're all (coughs) sinful and fallen. Um, I forget the way it's termed, uh, share in, I forget the term, but depravity. Um, So the question is not, why doesn't he save everyone? It's exactly what Jeremy said. Why does he actually save anyone? That is the amazing thing, that he would send his son, his perfect son, um, God himself, to, um, to die for, for us or for anyone at all. Yes, sir?
2: Uh-huh. Yeah that there is an I mean even with kids there's an innate um, aversion to um, sexual perversion for instance gayness yeah, and gay yeah. in, uh, sure some kids would go icky at the thought of yeah, that, yeah. that. Um also injustice. Uh-huh. you know, like why does the bigger bully right. the but this is a question that in a similar strain most men have mm-hmm why does God not save everyone? Right. If everyone's sharing an inkling of that, what what do we do? Do we we suppress that? Or is that just the flawed nature of humanity that we would ask that question? Because the reason you were addressing it is because almost everyone's had that question.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
2: So what's wrong and what's right about that?
0: Okay, great, great point. So I'll, I'll answer that question. Did everybody hear that? Right. Okay. So essentially what if is saying is that pretty much people have always asked this question. And so, um, kind of what's, what's, what's wrong with the question is, and, and what's right with it. Okay. Um, so the first thing is that we have to ask, what are the presuppositions, right? That people have, what are they assuming when they when they ask the question, by and large, what people are assuming is they are denying what we covered in the first article—that God has the right to condemn everyone. Okay, um, and the idea there is—and and I'm not saying everybody has that in their mind—but a lot of people have that in their, their mind that God is somehow unjust if he punishes anybody, or he's he's hateful and not loving if he. Um, if he punishes anybody, um, so I think that when I ask what's wrong with that question, it's the world has this presupposition when they ask it, and it's like, well, hey, if Jesus is so great, why does not he just save everybody? Okay, and so for the first thing I want to do is kind of attack, uh, is undermine or attack that that presupposition. The second thing gets into what George uh, mentioned here a few minutes ago. You know, the ultimate good is God's glory. You know, it's not my glory or your glory. It's not Astros winning a world championship. You know, it's, it's not any of that stuff. It's God's glory is the greatest, greatest good. And everything, um, everything that he has planned, everything that he is carrying out in some way, shape or form um, leads to his Glory. And so if people are to be, um, you know, if he is to be glorified in our salvation, then we'll be saved. If he's to be glorified in our condemnation, then we will be condemned because that is the, the, the greatest good, okay? Now, the loving, you know, our loving God has saved some, you know, has saved the elect. And, you know, how or why, he is glorified maximally, I'll say, um, you know, by by some perishing and not others. I don't fully understand that. I don't think anybody really does. Um, they do. They probably don't really understand the questions, um, all the questions that are at stake. But that goes back to trusting God and trusting in him that He he is good and he is, Faithful and He is God, essentially. Did that answer your question? So okay, okay, cool. You you can we can chat later if you yeah, cool. Go ahead. I'm
1: just going to add, add one thing to that. Okay. Statement that God's ways are higher than mm-hmm. our ways, and His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Right. And there are those that don't, right. and that that distinction happens if you're if you're born again, if right. you're regenerated. You have that soft heart. Mm-hmm. Then the truths of Scripture make sense right. and will help us understand those things. If you're not born again, right. then all of the logic in the world is going to all of the logic in the world is going to be fighting against. The truths of Scripture, right? And so you'll have that distinction throughout mm-hmm. all time between people that think God is being unjust and those who yeah. understand at, at, at least at the basic, right. What God is doing through His creation, right? And, and never the twain shall meet, right. According to 1 Corinthians two fourteen. Sure, sure. So just that's just the way it is.
0: That makes sense. Does everybody hear that? Yeah, good. You had something? Yeah, I was just going to say he asked what's right about. Yeah. Kinda, this may be arguable, but in a way, it, it builds on the idea that all of man's in the same boat. Right. And right. So from a you know from some perspective, there's an acknowledgement that we're all equally yeah. sinful. Yes. So if he saves one, why not all? Right. Right. Which kind of gets to the point we're going to make. But yeah. It's okay. Probably better than thinking you can earn your way. Yeah. A- a- excellent. Excellent. Yes, sir.
2: I think the other thing that's right about the question is that it recognized the intrinsic value of. Man, okay. Made in the image of God, that there is good. something
1: that is worth saving.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. In human. Okay. Because good. He's made in the image of God. Excellent. I, I I think that's uh, I think that's a good good point as well. Yes, sir.
1: I think it's improper to say it's wrong to ask a question.
0: Okay. Um.
1: To presuppose that somebody already knows the answer so they shouldn't ask a question is wrong.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't... So, the, I,
2: so saying it's a wrong question. No, it's not a wrong question. It's a chance to teach somebody about who God is. It's an excellent okay. question.
0: Okay, fair, fair, fair enough. Um,
1: you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be teaching people that there's questions that shouldn't be, shouldn't be asked.
0: Um, well, Brian, I didn't say that it wasn't supposed to be asked. I said, what's, said wrong, with what's wrong with it? Okay. Okay. Which we can teach people about. Okay. Right. Fair fair enough, Brian. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's see. Of uh, distinguishing between people equally lost. So why is this statement so important? And I think we've already kind of talked about it just a little bit, right? What do you think? Why is this, um, of distinguishing between people equally lost, why is that statement so important? I feel like Chad
2: and kind of covered that reserve just what they said a moment, a moment ago, that it puts us all in the same, none of, it's not our own merit. We're all in the same, right. we're all in the same bucket of fully lost, and made in the image of
0: God. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Good. Yeah. So there is no room for boasting when it comes to if we all are um, equally lost, and um, yeah, if we're all equally lost, then there's no room for boasting, because the only way that we can be saved is through what? Grace. All right. So the... Wicked, impure, and unstable distort this decree to their own ruin. So, what are the two most prominent ways that people abuse this doctrine? How do they, um, how do people, uh, distort this decree to their own ruin? One
2: way is just if I'm elect and I'm saved, then I can do whatever I want to do
0: on this side of heaven. Right. Okay. Okay. Good. And it won't change my, it won't change it. Yeah. So, if I, if I'm elect, then I know I'm going to heaven, and hey, let's let's party, I guess is what you're saying, right? All right. Cool. Yes, ma'am. I think it can, uh, some people
2: can lose compassion and uh-huh.
0: love okay. for others and not feel motivated to share yeah. the gospel because yeah. they think, well, it's already yep. determined, Yep. and too bad for them. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, good point. So... Um, so some folks will look at the doctrine and say, well, yeah, you know, I don't really need to evangelize. If people are, you know, if God is going to save whom he's going to save, then I don't need to, to go out and, and share the gospel. And if you look at, I can't remember if it's article three or four, talks specifically about um, the means by which God um, brings people to salvation is through what? Evangelism, which is us going out and, and sharing the gospel. Yes, sir. The, the,
1: the statement is aimed at, correct me if I'm wrong, the statement is aimed at unbelievers, because it's talking about wicked, impure, unstable, uh-huh. distort to their own ruin. That right. doesn't seem like a statement aimed at believers. That seems like it's aimed at the unbelieving world, is it?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's fair enough. Um, so let me start with kind of where I was going here with this. The way, Generally ways that this doctrine is um, abused, one would be what we kind of call—you've heard me say—hyper Calvinism before, and that's what Melissa was was talking about, where people don't think that they need to go out and evangelize. Um, the other the other way is—I'm um, sorry, I completely lost my train of thought on that one. So like, go ahead. The arrogance that comes yeah.
2: along with
0: feeling like mm-hmm. you're saved and being yeah. above others. Yeah. So yeah. The arrogance of being elevated. Right, right, right. Um, Yeah, good. And then your question was that this seems to be talking about unbelievers as opposed to believers. Right. And so I think probably what they're talking about here is folks that take the doctrine and kind of what we were talking about a little while ago. You know, a good God would not would not do this. You know, a good God would not punish anyone. A good God would not. A good God would just save everyone. So, all right. All right. So it provides holy and godly souls with comfort beyond words. Is that rain?
1: Something
0: you said? I was like, wow. All right. So how is divine election comforting in our own salvation? Yes, ma'am. We can't lose it. You can't lose it, right? And that's going to be something that we'll talk about when we get to section four, is going to be perseverance of the saints, okay? Why can't we lose it? What's that? Because God, God would be a liar. Okay, good. And so... Where am I trying to go here? So, the idea is um, think about how we've talked about love before. You know, what is in the everyday world? What is um, what? What is love in the everyday secular world? Valentine's, Day. Feeling. Valentine's Day. Feeling. feeling. Boom! That's where I was looking for Valentine's Day. Yeah, that sort of thing. And so the idea here is is that In our world, in a fallen world, the idea of love um, is it's a feeling, it's fleeting, it comes and goes. You fall in love, you fall out of love, right? But it's based on how somebody makes you feel, and the focus is on the self, okay? Biblically, love is focused, it's not based on how you feel, it's based on kind of what you do, and it's for the best interest of the beloved. So it's based on the object of that love. Well, divine love is like that. Okay, so God loves us, hallelujah, not in a fleeting way, but in a way that is unchangeable. So once we are uh, drawn to him, we, he will never let us go. We can never be taken out of his hand. And so the idea here is that, you know, you know assuming that we're all elect, we got to go with that, you know, you, 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 you me, we're all, um, you know, appointed elected, um, chosen, however, whatever word you want to use before the world even existed as a human being, as, as a, as a person to be with God in eternity, right? And nothing ever can change that. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So it's divine election is, is that, it's like that guarantee because he is, he is God. Okay. Now, um, how is it comforting in evangelism? Yes, ma'am. not up to me, so I don't have to
2: be perfect every time I present the gospel, which I can't be. Right. God is the one that draws them to Him, and so
0: I just have to be obedient and He will bless them. Right, A- absolutely. If, 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 he will generate, he, w- he may bless that. Yes. Yeah. But good. And so the idea there is it's not based on personal performance. It's not based on your preparation or the method that you use in evangelizing, right? So, and the reason reason that's comforting is imagine you go and, you know, you're, you're evangelizing to somebody and they're an atheist and, um, or they're not an atheist, but you know, you're having a conversation with them and you, you blow it, you know? Maybe you, you get upset or maybe you just can't find the right words or it could be any number of things, okay? Or you say something stupid or incorrect or whatever the case may be and then you, that person goes off and you never see them again, right? Kind of the Arminian view of, of salvation is very dependent on the human being right? And so, isn't it comforting to know that, you know, you may blow um, a, a presentation of the gospel, but that does not mean that your inadequacy is going to condemn that person to hell, okay? And so, um, I think that's a beautiful thing, and I think that's a very, very comforting, comforting thing. Were you going to add something?
1: Yeah, Right. Not to argue them, right. argue their, beat their arguments right. to, to lead them into the kingdom. And right. so, all, uh, and, and for the young believer, someone who doesn't know a lot of theology, mm-hmm. right. you know, I know for me, from, from my perspective, uh, I was always afraid to share the gospel because I thought somebody, somebody's going to ask a question or make a statement and I wasn't going right. to be able to answer it. And right. so I was afraid to even get in into a conversation with someone, right? Uh, right. Because of that, but we don't need to worry. Somebody can can a- ask a question or mm-hmm. challenge us in a way that we can't answer. Mm-hmm. But if we have been clear with the simplistic gospel, we can walk away knowing we, we have done all that we can do. Right. I've given them the information. Now God will either soften that heart, mm-hmm. or He won't.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, it's not up to us. It's so not up to relax us. About the good. Good. Very good, I hope everybody heard that. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, so Article 7, election. Wow, no way we're getting through this today. Um, So this is kind of the statement of the reformed uh, position on election. Election is God's unchangeable purpose by which he did the following, before the foundation of the world by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, God chose in Christ to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race which had fallen by its own fault from its original innocence into sin and ruin. Those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than the others, but lay with them in the common misery. God did this in Christ, whom he also appointed from eternity to be the mediator, the head of all all those chosen and the foundation of their salvation. All right. So, according to the free good pleasure of his will, uh, why are each of these words important? Free.
1: Not based on any inherent quality of the of the person.
0: Okay. Stephen? So free in terms of God not being forced to do it. Okay, good. If there's something forcing God to do it, then there's something more powerful than him and you've got a problem with God. Absolutely. So if God is not free to um choose whom he wills, then there's there's something going on there and god is potentially not the most not ultimately powerful and so that would be a problem good why is that one so important yeah it's for 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 good yeah you and would you without fault right there, there's no evil there's no e- evil intent or anything like that pleasure Clearly, it's something that he desires, he rejoices in, right? Uh, And then finally, his will, it's, it's, he wills it, he makes, it's a, um, it's a choice, right, as opposed to just a stimulus response, it's a, it's a choice, it's something that he willfully and volitionally does, okay, all right, definite number of particular people, so why did they include this phrase? Any idea, Stephen? You got anything? That's oh, I, I can't can't say as I blame you. Yeah, there is a. Okay. Okay. What I would say is it's it's not that there is. There are some folks, groups of Arminians, not, I don't think all of them, but look at some of the passages when it talks about predestination and that sort of an elect and that sort of thing, and they say, yeah, he has elected a, a church, a group, um, you know, a, a, a collective, right? But he hasn't appointed who is going to be in that collective. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That that's awesome. I know that's not yours, so I can insult it. That's a terrible analogy. Uh, <laughs> so what Stephen just said is, some folks will say it's it's like a flight. God has uh, predestined a flight, um, where it's where it's coming from, where it's going, et cetera, and so forth, but not who's actually on the on the flight. That's terrible. Um, What's that? Yeah, strap people to the wings. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So uh, those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than the others. Why is this phrase so important? We've already talked about that. So God did uh, this in Christ, whom he also appointed from eternity to be the mediator, the head of all those chosen and the uh, foundation of their salvation. So what is a mediator? Okay, somebody who is between two parties in order to bring them together somehow, yeah, or to interact with them somehow, yeah. Okay, so what is the complication of mediating between God and mankind? They're not the same. Not the same. Okay, so you have a holy God who has the, the, does not come into contact with evil, and then you have. An evil mankind, or depraved mankind. And so how does does that happen? How does God have fellowship with with mankind, right? Okay, so you need a mediator. Okay, so who's the mediator? If the mediator is human, you know, it's like a chasm. If the mediator is human, then he's on this side of the chasm, and you still got a problem. And if the mediator is divine... Okay, well, now he's on this side of the chasm, and you still got a problem. Okay, you can't bridge an infinite chasm. So that, and Job actually points to this problem in several passages throughout Job. He talks about who will be my advocate in heaven, because he knows that his advocate cannot be a human being, but at the same time, he understands that he can't come fully into contact with God. Okay, so the idea is when you look at Christ, Christ is. The only way that you can bridge that chasm, where he is fully human and he is fully divine, and he is able to bridge that in a unique way, and it's 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 beautiful how all of this comes together. Okay, does it make sense? Yeah, good. Okay. You know, I knew you were going to have a question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said iffy. Do you have any questions? Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. I love it. Go ahead
2: how much authority does the mediator
0: need how much authority does the well um, how much authority d- does he need yes. uh, well all authority had been given to him so uh,
2: that was one question that yeah would be great like okay israel you know yeah. international court of crimes blah, 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 and no one can enforce anything okay so if you have a mediator that cannot bring both parties in like that work
0: in this case? If you, if you have a mediator that... I, I, so you're saying author, uh, kind of some kind of authority over both sides? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. Else, I mean, who enforces the
0: mediation? Right. Okay. Well, so in, this, so in that case... So if, uh, if he's kind of talking a little bit about authority where, okay, so the mediator has to have some authority, and I think that he, the mediator was appointed by God, and he was given all authority... And so he's not going to have authority over the Father, um, but he, he can bridge the, the gap. It's actually a good, good question. You got another one? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. That's about your 20th good one, so cool. Awesome. All right. So, Article 7, election. And so, God decreed to give to Christ Those chosen for salvation, and to call and draw them effectively into Christ's fellowship through the Word and Spirit. In other words, God decreed to grant them true faith in Christ, to justify them, to sanctify them, and finally, after powerfully preserving them in the fellowship of the Son, to glorify them. God did all this in order to demonstrate his mercy to the praise of the riches of God's glorious grace. All right, so more specifically, who decreed? God. Okay. More specifically? The Father. The Father, the father okay. Um, and to give to whom? Okay, to, to to the Son, right. So that's one of the things that... Um, the cans of are very Trinitarian, they, but they don't use Father, um, really the Father and Son language. They use God and, and Christ, which is the biblical language. But still the concepts are there. I just wanted to point that out. Um, so the father giving um, uh, those chosen for salvation to Christ, what metaphor is used in the Bible for this? Wedding, Wedding exactly. So the, so the elect would be the bride, the bride okay, given to, to, to Christ. Exactly, very good. So to call and draw them effectively into Christ's fellowship, um, do you remember the two calls? What were they? Okay, good. General call is, or we call it the gospel call. It's what you and I do. And then the um, effectual call, which is the Holy Spirit working in somebody's heart. Um, so to call and draw them effectual, if effectively is the effectual call. It's the Holy Spirit working. Um, what does, uh, so, what does draw mean? Does it mean woo and romance? Drag. No, it means drag. Yeah, kicking and screaming if you have to, right? Um, it's like pulling, drawing a sword out of a out of a sheath, that sort of thing. Um, through the word and spirit. Wait a minute, did I miss a question? No, I didn't. Okay, uh, through the word and spirit. So, what? Why is it important? Why? Did, why is it important to remember that word and spirit go together? Spirit and truth. Okay. Yeah, spirit and truth. Not, not really. So, um, yes, ma'am. I was saying, you need both when you're coming to see it. The Bible says that you hear by the word, but it's the spirit who reveals what that word means. Right. Okay, good. Both. Okay. So there are some um, uh, folks, uh, dom- <laughs> denominations, that really, really, really emphasize the spirit to the... Um, to the cost, or to the detriment of the word, okay, and so we, we tend to refer to this, if you remember last year, we referred to it as kind of mysticism, right, so when, when you have a lot of, of um, spiritual, because the idea is, if you feel like the, if you sense that like the spirit is working in your heart, how do you, how do you, as a believer, how do you check that? With the word, With the word right, and so, you know, how do you, if but if you don't have the word, you know, the, then how do you tell the difference between what the Spirit is telling you and what you're you're telling yourself, right? Because I've had times where I have absolutely been convinced that the Spirit was, you know, you know, working, wanted me to do something, and it wasn't going to happen, you know, and the Spirit really wants me to do something, then, then it's going to happen. But we need the word um, to go to the word in order to uh, the Word and the Spirit, they go together, okay? I guess this is what I'm getting at. Yes, sir? Why is Word capitalized? Why is, uh, why is Word capitalized? Yeah. Is
2: it possibly referring not to the Bible, but to either to Christ as the Word of God, or
0: to the Gospel being the Word that's saved? Pro- probably, because the idea there, I think, in, did everybody hear the question? Yeah. Yeah. So why is Word and Spirit ca- capitalized? Um, for, actually, the first thing is i don 't know that it was capitalized in the original oh does it okay okay cool um, so i don 't know do you have the Dutch version okay so <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, but the idea there is is that when you think of, of of Jesus as the word, he is what the ultimate revelation right he 's the ultimate revelation of, of, of God, and so i I think that I think in general the in that sense, the Bible, Jesus is the is the is revealed God revealing Himself. Okay, just like it says in Hebrews one, that um, you know He revealed Himself to the prophets, and but in these last days He has um, revealed Himself um, in in Jesus Christ, and so I think there that's what in this context I think that's what Word is 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 essentially divine revelation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. In other words, um, God agreed to grant them true faith in Christ. So which comes first, grace or faith? Yes. <laughs> grace, okay. So what happens to grace if we say that faith comes first? Well, then we don't have anybody drawing us,
2: Right. Right. So we wouldn't come
0: to faith. Right. So, yeah. So if faith comes first, then there is no, there, it's like we're not really being drawn, okay? Because that drawing is a manifestation of his grace. Um, so if we say that uh, if faith comes first, it's like, it's almost like you have to change what grace means. And if you look up grace in like Webster's Dictionary or whatever, it's, they refer to it as, um, and actually several other places, they refer to it as divine assistance, okay, like, and the way I think of it is, um, you know, assistance is like, if if I can't, if I'm trying to lift a rock, and God comes along and helps me lift a rock, then he's He's assisting me, okay, but in reality, it's like, I'm dead, I can't even pull my muscles together to even touch the rock, and, and so um, that's where, you know, that's what grace is, is it, it um, makes you alive and and then um, bring, brings ultimately brings you the faith. Faith without grace is almost a work of your own. Exactly, exactly. Salvation by works. And so it's it's turned around, right? If I could be
1: antagonistic with
0: just a minute. I can't imagine no that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're saved by grace through faith. And I'm having a hard
1: time create, creating a timeline with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Me, that's, why, that's why I said yes, um, because it, there doesn't seem to be, you know, there doesn't seem to be a distinction right. in, needed or implied. I mean, the, the grace. If you want to think of election, that's something right. that happened ahead of time. Sure. And the propensity to, uh, and then the ultimate regeneration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're we're we believe because we're born again and we now have a new nature. And so well, all of that rolls together.
0: So let's jump on what you just said. You're, you believe, so you have faith. Um, before or after you're born again? After. After you're born again, no. and so so you have faith after you're born again, and that born again is a result of grace.
1: In, in what time? In what timing? Okay, that, that's, my, that's my question. Right. Okay. So, we, so we try to put a, a timeline sure. in there. Right, uh, was as, I born right. again, uh, given a new nature, ten years before I, mm-hmm. before I actually, right. believed? believe, right, uh, you know, was there that prevenient period in there? I have, I, I have no answer. Right. I'm just raising, like I said, so
0: antagonistic. what we refer to this as, as is the um, ordo salutis. It's the order of salvation. I think you were here the first time we talked about that, and so there is this concept. I, I, Okay. Okay. <laughs> so there's this concept of, um, being, um, being elect and then, um, being re- then regeneration and then, um, uh, justified and then adopted. And so th- there's, uh, uh, several things that like steps you kind of go through temporally, they could all happen at one time. Right. But there's just a logical, logical, um, there's a logical priority as opposed to a temporal priority, and I hate using terminology like that. But the idea is that you you have to be justified <laughs> to be adopted. You have to be justified. To be justified, you have to be you know you have to be regenerate, right? To be regenerate, you have to be elect, and so there it does build on itself. And so we're actually once we work through the canons of Dort, we're going to talk more about the orthocellus. Did, did you have something? Yeah.
2: so that we were chosen before the foundation yeah. of the world. So mm-hmm. there is that some sense before we ever sinned, we were right. chosen to be pulled from our sin. Yes. But that our faith is really the gift of God as well. Right. So it's
1: almost like we, I see his struggle because right. our, our, the fact that we have right. faith is not our own works. It's a gift right. of God. So right. We're given faith.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Those seem to happen at the same time. Right. But... Yeah. God is still
2: the
0: the agent of that. A- absolutely. And, and that's very very well said. And and less eloquently. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, in time that can happen. Well, the election is like before time, right? But and you said that. But other than that, a lot of that the the adoption, justification, regeneration, all of that, I, I mean, it could I would imagine that it could all happen simultaneously. So but Right? Yeah, right, right. Well, it, yeah, and that's a good way to, to put it. Because it's like one logically precedes the other, but one is also the logical outcome of the other, right. So once you get the, the chain going, it's not going to stop. Right. But you also have to have the previous links in the chain in order to, to get there. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, so wasn't the grace given before the foundation of the earth, the, uh, boy, do I, can I use a word like actualization, no, okay, (laughs) so the, um, the idea there is the, or manifestation, right, so there was grace that was going to occur, that, that um, you could say occurred before the foundation of the earth, or, but once we live our lives, then it's manifested to us. It's made, I'm not going to say it's made real, because that's, that's a different argument, but it's it's manifested. Yes, sir? I was wondering if uh, the faith comes before the grace, would that sort of underscore the Armenian position that God looks down the court? Of, right. To see who will have faith, yeah. and then he decides to elect that person. Right. <coughs> right. So it puts you in the driver's seat right. instead of God. A- ab- absolutely. So what Tom said is there's this idea that the Armenians have that, um, God looked down through the corridors of time decided, you know, looked at who was going to believe, and then based on who was going to believe, then he said, okay, I'm going to elect that person. So that's kind of faith coming before before grace, and what that does is exactly what you said in the end kind of, I think, summarizes everything. It puts us in the driver's seat. Right? But,
1: but, then, but grace is not the same as election. Grace is distinct. Right. In, the, in a theological term, and right. so Election happens first. That sure. happens mm-hmm. before we can count. And right. so, that, so our free, yeah. our, I'm sorry, our, um, our reformed salvation right. is established with election, mm-hmm. not with the timeline of grace and faith. But I, I wouldn't say that grace comes after faith. I wouldn't say right. um, that was not my, right. my, uh, my uh, antagonistic art. Oh, no, I know that. It was yeah. just that, that trying to put a t- time stamp on those two things Oh, I don't see
0: that in the scripture. Yeah, and there's no timestamp. stamp. Yeah. There's a logical priority, not a temporal priority. So, all right, and then finally, and we're going to have to stop at the, the end of the slide. So Norman Geisler says that God is a gentleman. He does not force himself upon us. Okay. Um, how are many of you, right? Would say, What's that? And Job would say. Yeah, <laughs> Job would say, well, yeah. And so just, you know, it's, you know so it's kind of like saying, okay, there is a child, um, running toward a a freeway with, you know, cars kind of going everywhere. And, you know, according to Norman Geisler, he's going to let that kid run off into the middle of the, in the freeway and get squashed because, um, he doesn't want to violate that kid's free will. Right. So that, that is where that argument goes saying, Saying God is a gentleman; He does not force Himself upon us is like one of the most just spiritually and intellectually bankrupt um, statements that you can you can possibly say, right? And I would hope that He would know better, but anyway. So very quickly, quick comment, and then we'll um, we'll close in prayer. So one thing with all of this that we have to remember is that there, there, there's one or two topics that I absolutely um, refuse to teach. And when I say that, I mean refuse to teach in a group setting. And the reason I say that is because there's, on certain topics, there seems to be folks divided into two different camps. And I don't mean Arminian and Calvin or anything like that. Folks who have had an emotional experience about something, and so they're facing some travesty, and they're trying to deal with a, a theological truth, but it's a, it's a very sensitive issue, right? That same topic cannot be so sensitive to somebody else, and so what may happen is they may look at it as if it's, you know, you're in a laboratory, and it's sterile and look at it in a, in more of an academic sort of, sort of thing, okay, Um, and so there, like I said, there's about, there's like two topics that I won't talk about, because I'm not going to have those two groups of people get together, and have potentially the latter um, hurt the former, does it make sense, unintentionally hurt the former, okay, okay, so I'm not going to tell you what those are, Um, you'll know if, if we hit them, but, so, the idea there is is i I get the sense that today um I treated a very sensitive topic um, in a in a sterile way, and I didn't mean to, and so i I apologize for that i don't know i don't exactly know exactly what it is um I may never know i don't know but um but I do apologize for that, and it's something that we all have to. We all have to remember is that, you know, we don't know if we don't know what other people are are going through. And, you know, and we have to just be sensitive in my slides here or in our everyday conversation that we can never treat anything that has anything to do with Christianity like it's a sterile classroom. Okay, we just can't do that. So anyway, I um, hope you forgive me for that, and um, love you guys. Uh, George, do you mind?
1: We're thankful for um, your word, Lord, It helped, and the spirit that lives in us, the, the, that gives us clarity about things. But, Lord, we know we don't have perfect understanding of any part of Scripture, and yet we have an adequate understanding, and we're thankful for that, uh, to the praise of the glory of your grace. Thank you for Fred and the work that he's done. God bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen.